Section 103 of Mark Twain, A Biography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 207, 30 Wellington Court. Clemens himself took the Kelgren treatment and received a good deal of benefit. I have come back in sound condition and braced for work he wrote McAllister upon his return to London, a long, steady, faithful siege of it, and I begin now in five minutes. They had settled in a small apartment at 30 Wellington Court, Albert Gate, where they could be near the London branch of the Kelgren Institution, and he had a workroom with Chato and Windus, his publishers. His work, however, was mainly writing speeches, for he was entertained constantly and it seemed impossible for him to escape. His notebook became a mere jumble of engagements. He did write an article or a story now and then, one of which, My First Lie, and How I Got Out of It, was made the important Christmas feature of the New York Sunday world, now included in the Hadleyburn volume Complete Works. Another article of this time was the St. Joan of Arc, which several years later appeared in Harper's Magazine. This article was originally written as the introduction of the English translation of the official record of the trials and rehabilitation of Joan, then about to be elaborately issued. Clemens was greatly pleased at being invited to prepare the introduction of this important volume, but a smug person with pedagogic proclivities was in charge of the copy and proceeded to edit Mark Twain's manuscript, to alter its phrasing, to conform to his own ideas of the Queen's English. Then he had it all nicely typewritten, and returned it to show how much he had improved it, and to receive thanks and compliments. He did not receive any thanks. Clemens recorded a few of the remarks that he made when he saw his edited manuscript. I will not deny that my feelings rose to one hundred and four in the shade. The idea that this long-eared animal, this literary kangaroo, this illiterate hostler with his skull full of axle-grease, this—but I stopped there, for this was not the Christian spirit. His would-be editor received a prompt order to return the manuscript, after which Clemens wrote a letter, some of which will go very well here. Dear Mr. X, I have examined the first page of my amended introduction, and will begin now and jot down some notes upon your corrections. If I find any changes which shall not seem to me to be improvements, I will point out my reasons for thinking so. In this way I may chance to be helpful to you, and thus profit you perhaps as much as you have desired to profit me. First paragraph. Jeanne d'Arc. This is rather cheaply pedantic, and is not in very good taste. Joan is not known by that name among plain people of our race and tongue. I notice that the name of the Deity occurs several times in the brief installment of the trials 
which you have favored me with to be consistent it will be necessary that you strike out god and put in dieu do not neglect this second paragraph now you have begun on my punctuation don't you realize that you ought not to intrude your help in a delicate art like that with your limitations and do you think that you have added just the right smear of polish to the closing clause of the sentence third paragraph ditto fourth paragraph your word directly is misleading it could be construed to mean at once plain clarity is better than ornate obscurity i note your sensitive marginal remark rather unkind to french feelings referring to moscow indeed i have not been concerning myself about french feelings but only about stating the facts i have said several uncourteous things about the french calling them a nation of ingrates in one place but you have been so busy editing commas and semicolons that you overlooked them and failed to get scared at them the next paragraph ends with a slur at the french but i have reasons for thinking you mistook it for a compliment it is discouraging to try to penetrate a mind like yours you ought to get it out and dance on it that would take some of the rigidity out of it and you ought to use it sometimes that would help if you had done this every now and then along through life it would not have petrified fifth paragraph thus far i regard this as your masterpiece you are really perfect in the great art of reducing simple and dignified speech to clumsy and vapid commonplace sixth paragraph you have a singularly fine and aristocratic disrespect for homely and unpretending english every time i use go back you get out your polisher and slick it up to return return is suited only to the drawing-room it is ducal and says itself with a simper and a smirk seventh paragraph permission is ducal ducal and affected her great days were not over they were only half over didn't you know that haven't you read anything at all about joan of arc the truth is you do not pay any attention i told you on my very first page that the public part of her career lasted two years and you have forgotten it already you really must get your mind out and 
have it repaired. You see yourself that it is all caked together. Eighth paragraph. She rode away to assault and capture a stronghold. Very well, but you do not tell us whether she succeeded or not. You should not worry the reader with uncertainties like that. I will remind you once more that clarity is a good thing in literature. An apprentice cannot do better than keep this useful rule in mind. Ninth paragraph. Known history. That word has a polish which is too indelicate for me. There doesn't seem to be any sense in it. This would have surprised me last week. Breaking a lance is a knightly and sumptuous phrase, and I honor it for its hoary age and for the faithful service it has done in the prize composition of the schoolgirl, but I have ceased from employing it since I got my puberty, and most solemnly object to fathering it here, and besides it makes me hint that I have broken one of those things before in honor of the maid, an intimation not justified by the facts. I did not break any lances or other furniture. I only wrote a book about her. Truly yours, Mark Twain. It cost me something to restrain myself and say these smooth and half-flattering things of this immeasurable idiot, but I did it, and have never regretted it for it is higher and nobler to be kind to even a shad like him than just. I could have said hundreds of unpleasant things about this tadpole, but I did not even feel them. Yet in the end he seems not to have sent the letter. Writing it had served every purpose. An important publishing event of 1899 was the issue of the American Publishing Company of Mark Twain's Complete Works in Uniform Edition. Clemens had looked forward to the day when this should be done, perhaps feeling that an assembling of his literary family in symmetrical dress constituted a sort of official recognition of his authorship. Brander Matthews was selected to write the introduction, and prepared a fine biographical criticism, which pleased Clemens though perhaps he did not entirely agree with his views. Himself of a different cast of mind, he nevertheless admired Matthews. Writing to Twitchell, he said, When you say I like Brander Matthews, he impresses me as a man of parts and power, I back you right up to the hub. I feel the same way and when you say he has earned your gratitude for cuffing me for my crimes against the leather stockings and the vicar, I ain't making any objection. Dern your gratitude. His article is as sound as a nut. Brander knows literature and loves it. He can talk about it 
and keep his temper he can state his case so lucidly and so fairly and so forcibly that you have to agree with him even when you don't agree with him and he can discover and praise such merits as a book has even when they are merely half a dozen diamonds scattered through an acre of mud and so he has a right to be a critic to detail just the opposite of the above invoice is to describe me i haven't any right to criticize books and i don't do it except when i hate them i often want to criticize jane austen but her books madden me so that i can't conceal my frenzy from the reader and therefore i have to stop every time i begin once at a dinner given to matthews mark twain made a speech which consisted almost entirely of intonations of the name brander matthews to express various shades of human emotion it would be hopeless of course to attempt to convey in print any idea of this effort which by those who heard it is said to have been a masterpiece of vocalization clemens also introduced the uniform edition with an author's preface the jurisdiction of which he said was restricted to furnishing reasons for the publication of the collection as a whole this is not easy to do aside from the ordinary commercial reasons i find none that i can offer with dignity i cannot say without immodesty that the books have merit i cannot say without modesty that the public want a uniform edition i cannot say without immodesty that a uniform edition will turn the nation toward high ideals and elevated thought i cannot say without immodesty that a uniform edition will eradicate crime though i think it will i find no reason that i can offer without immodesty except the rather poor one that i should like to see a uniform edition myself it is nothing a cat could say it about her kittens still i believe i will stand upon that i have to have a preface and a reason by law of custom and the reason which i am putting forward is at least without offense end of chapter two hundred and seven thirty wellington court read by john greenman